Hi, it's Milton. So apparently this is our 100th episode of the podcast, and which is overwhelming to me. And I just would like to thank all of you who have been listening. I especially wanted to thank my producer, Walker Vreeland, who talked me into doing it in the first place and unrelentingly edits together my classes so I sound like an intelligent person. Anyway, thank you all for listening, and who knows, maybe we'll do another hundred. Welcome to I Don't Need an Acting Class with Milton Justice. Hey everyone, it's Walker Vreeland, and this week for our 100th episode... We're doing something a little bit different. We're going to bring you a conversation between Milton and his former student, Chris Carmack, who you probably know from Grey's Anatomy in Nashville. And uh, this is part, or it was part, of a series at Queens Public Library in New York City called Culture Connection. It was moderated by Taylor Perdee. And uh, this is just some highlights from the conversation, although we're going to bring you uh, part two of this talk next week. So uh, this is not it. Stay tuned for part two. I wanted to take this opportunity myself to say thank you for helping us reach 100 because we would not have reached 100 episodes without you, without your support and all of your amazing um, emails and messages on Instagram and actor questions. So thank you so much for helping us, you know, create this podcast and what it's become is really because of you. So uh, if you haven't already, we would love it if you would rate and review the podcast on Apple and you can share what you've gotten out of it, what, uh, you, you know, has helped you specifically. And of course, if you have any questions, you can always email Milton uh, at what's the email? Sorry, <laughs> questions for Milton at gmail.com. Again, that's questions for Milton at gmail.com. So thanks again and happy 100. Hello, and welcome to Culture Connection. Culture Connection is curated by Daniel Zalaska. It is now in its ninth year at the Queens Public Library. I'm Taylor Perdee. Today we have actor Chris Carmack, who you know from Grey's Anatomy, who I've had a thing for since 2005's Related. And um, That's deep cut. <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about it. And educator, Academy Award winning filmmaker, and now author, Milton Justice. Welcome, guys. <laughs> Welcome to the Culture Connection. Thanks, Taylor. Thank you. I mean, I think the, the question that... I'm curious, and we were talking about a little bit backstage, is an acting book. Do we need another one? Um, and then I was going through it. I was going through it this morning. And what hit me so much is apparently, yeah, because if anybody has dealt with this kind of literature, and it is a big historical, from like Stanislavski on, it's a rich corner of writing, but it's frequently academic. And that's not what you're dealing with here. This is relatable. And as somebody who's been through every acting class imaginable, I was so refreshed by feeling like I was talking to a person and not, you know, a stone legend. Well, it took me, I have to say, it took me forever to come up with a format. I am so not an academic. I cannot even begin to tell you. It's like, 
I mean, I've spent my life with people like Chris, you know, who has an audition, who has a problem, and he's auditioning for, I'll never forget, I was driving home from, uh, uh, I was teaching at Yale at the time, I was driving home from Yale, and he called me because he had an audition for uh, the Broadway production of Entertaining Mr. Sloan. And I'm talking to him about actions while driving. I mean, it was like, I, I have to deliver for these actors. I mean, they're asking me specific questions. I mean, they don't that, want... It seems like such a, a simple answer, that the sort of like practicality of it, but it is kind of a, a rare approach. Picking an acting teacher, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, Chris... Well, I mean, you know, it's, I just I just want to chime in because I had a thought here. It's like, you know, we live in the world of the for dummies books. And I'm not I'm not putting I'm not saying this is like acting for dummies or anything like that. But everybody wants the cliff notes. And it's true. If you open up a Stanislavski book, you are going to be inspired, but it's not necessarily you're not going to necessarily find the qu answer to the question you're looking for. It's it's like it's like opening up this giant manual. Mm. And you you dust it off and you can dig for inspiration. But when you're like, huh. what what do you call it, Milton? An, a, an actor in d despair or a oh, actor yeah. in panic? <laughs> yeah, when you're an actor in panic, mm. uh, it helps to have the cliff notes. Well, that's something that's always that I've always loved about like the myths around these books and and the kind of like intellectual genealogy. Stanislavski teaches Stella and on and on and on. And then, you know, as Milton, you had this big relationship with Stella Adler. You ran the her studio in the West Coast for years. You, I think, opened it. And yet, we should clarify that as we're talking about the differences between this book and some of the t text that came before it, it's not that necessarily the message or the ideology is, is different. It's each generation kind of repackages it for the work that they need to do at that point. And so to look at this as the next in the like birthright from Stanislavski through the group theater, through the actor's studio, I think is, is a good way to talk about it because what you've done is taken that and brought it to this new generation. What's interesting, Taylor, is Chris was in my class in the Stella Adler division of NYU. And we were doing an exercise one day, and it's an exercise I do on building the place. And so he was working on this exercise very slowly visualizing it, letting it hit him before he talked it out. I do a lot of talking out. And so he got to the end of the exercise and he looked at me and he went, dude. <laughs> and I went into the faculty lounge afterwards and I said, I think I just got the biggest compliment I've ever gotten from a student. And he said, what? I said, he called me dude. And I went, oh. <laughs> But what was interesting about that? Okay, so now we go years later, and he was opening in Summer and Smoke in London. And he left a message on my machine. He said, remember that fabulous show I told you about in, re in rehearsal? I said, I couldn't wait for you to see it. And he said, it's awful. We opened in Manchester. None of us recognized the set. It was nothing like we thought. And so I called back, left a message, and I said, go an hour early and talk out the set, mm. which is the exercise he'd done at NYU wow. in my class. And he left a message, and he said, you're right, see you at the opening. But it, it was interesting that the, the exercises that we worked on, which seemed so fundamental, 
they still, you know, it's like, woo, man, they still work. Miss Adler knew what she was talking about. Well, I'm so curious about the relationship between the, from the, from Chris's perspective, from the actor to the, the instructor. I mean, picking an acting coach is a big choice and having a relationship. I mean, you've been with Milton for years, it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. And I'm so curious about what you need from him. It's such a specific relationship. Well, you know, it's hard to work in a vacuum, especially when you're working on big plays, um, especially let's say you're prepping an audition. Okay, for a play, you need to understand as much as you can about the character and the play and the place and the time frame and the other characters and the plot and the theme and all these things. You need to cram a lot of work into a short period of time to be able to present anything useful. And um, you don't have a month of rehearsals to prepare for that. And that's usually when he gets the actor in panic call from me is is on the audition front. And he's been very kind and generous to me over the years uh, to sit down with me. And, and he loves it. He, he, he I mean, he's a teacher in his heart. So um, at least I hope he is because I, yeah, I have to go too. <laughs> um, and, and then during during a rehearsal process, a lot of times you'll run into some frustration and you can't necessarily discuss it with the director or the other actors. And you have to have somebody to talk with it about. And um, Milton has been that person for me over many, many years that we've known each other. I was about to ask about that line between Milton and uh, one of your directors or a director who's really dealing with the actors, at least. Well, you know, I've been directed by Milton as well which I have to say is a fantastic experience, but it, it, it can test a friendship. I mean, we'd be screaming, <laughs> screaming at each other in rehearsals, which is, you know, but that's part of it. That's part of the work it takes to uncover uh, and excavate big ideas and big choices in your work. And it can be really difficult and frustrating. And uh, that's when I say you, you can't necessarily talk to the director about things because you might end up in a screaming match. And with Milton, you know, it's like, ah, we've been friends so long. We can scream at each other and we know it's about the work. It's mm. not, we're not gonna, this is not about uh, egos or anything. It's just about getting to the work. And also uh, very often if somebody says, well, you know, the director says this uh, and it's not what we worked on. And so I will have no problem saying, well, the director is wrong. So we'll figure out how to negotiate it. <laughs> That's a, a tough space to be in for that Chris. Be, yeah, when you, when, when you hear that, it, it can be tough. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let me just say this. Uh, I think every teacher, if they're a decent teacher, has hopes that your students will no longer need you. Mm, okay. I, I mean, you really do reach that point. 
In, in fact, I often think if, you know, sometimes I think people, if they need me too much, they shouldn't get the part, <laughs> you know, because it's one thing to have somebody to bounce off of. So there is a point where you don't need, you know, when you just don't, you don't need the teacher except on very rare occasions. Okay. Unfortunately, Grant's working today, but my joke with Grant is that uh, he's been on Dynasty for five years and he still periodically calls me and says, I'm sending you a script because I cannot figure out what's going on with him. And it's kind of a fun conversation. I find, well, first of all, I, I love teaching. I am so happy I could teach. Uh, I didn't even know I could teach until Stella told me I could teach. And she said, darling, I, I want you to teach for me. But with her, it wasn't like there was an option. She just basically said, and that's what you're going to do. But interestingly enough, if I may read from... Please? Oh, good. I didn't think you were going to. Yeah. Yes. From Give the, us a passage. The, well, the from, the, from the definitive book on acne. But here's, <laughs> what, here's where this kind of started. And I noticed this is so embarrassing. July 10th, 1980, I was doing a play and I got lost. And I wrote Stella a letter. She was in California and I was in New York. And I wrote her letter and I'm thinking to myself, so I had to write the letter. I have no idea what was in the letter because it wasn't like, you know, Xerox letters and mailed it to her. She got it, answered the letter and then sent it back to me. And I've always wondered, I figured the whole thing at the very least took 12 days. And I'm thinking, what the hell did I do in rehearsal for 12 days? <laughs> I love that you spelled that out in, in, in the book. The, yeah, I mean, I kind of to her and got her by the, yeah. But here's what she said. She said, I got your letter and I'm rushing to answer because I want you to have confidence in yourself as an actor. The actor in you is beginning to feel the birth pangs and acquiring the roles during the rehearsal period. And that is very normal. The work you do at home is done and is in you. Don't worry about it. The things you have chosen for your past groundwork with your imagination, they will give you the confidence of rehearsal. Don't try to play the background. In other words, as I looked at this letter, which I have kept forever, she was not answering specifically my questions. She was answering specifically my questions in a way that was giving me an insight into acting. Mm. It, what hit me about it was... If I'm going to take on, which I did totally by accident, this format of emails, it needs to be that general, but yet specific. Mm. It's addressing a specific problem that many, many, many actors have. And that's what really finally hit me about it when I, when I finally realized maybe that's how I should do the book because I was having terrible problems. And we should say that um, the book is largely made up of your correspondences with with actors. Yeah, yeah. And I because I kept thinking to myself, if an actor was writing me about this specific problem, then I bet many actors have problems like that. And and you can also kind of look at the problems and then you can say, uh 
oh, yes, I see what her problem was. But mine's similar, but not exactly that. But I can see where I came up against a wall. You you have a correspondence with Chris in the book that really resonated with me, kind of like that about, Chris, you're saying something along the lines of, right now what I'm doing is trying to do nothing. And then if it works, I've done the reparation. If it doesn't work, I need to work more. And I, I, I want to hear more about that. Well, that was um, that was kind of my way of, verbalizing what he was just talking about, which is don't, which Stella is what told you, uh, don't bring your rehearsals to, you don't bring your homework mm. to the rehearsal. Or the audition. Or the audition, or in this case, the shooting of the scene. We work very fast on a television set, so there's not a whole lot of rehearsals. But if you, which can be really tough if you fell in love with some choices you made at home, because mm. then you don't even have time to sort of relearn them. So that was, I guess, my summation of doing the homework in terms of the preparation uh, for the character, the impulses of the character, his relationships to everybody he's talking to and the material he's covering, and then seeing what happens. And if I've made strong choices in terms of the background of the character and what's bringing him into the room and, and what he's trying to accomplish in that room, then I don't have to do any work. Those choices do the work for me. So that's what, that's what that was about. Chris, is there... I, I really, I, let me just say, you, he hits on what I think is the most difficult thing about acting. And Stella says it in this letter to me, it's letting it happen rather than making it happen. Mm. And boy, I, to me, it was like, that's why I liked the, how he verbalized it for himself, because it's like actors have this tendency, oh, I've made this choice. I'm going to go in and force this choice on this scene. And it sounds like acting mm. or bad acting. And just the idea that you trust the work and just let it happen. I, I, lo I love that. I, I, I still use that in class, yeah. what Chris said about how he works. Chris, I'm, I'm wondering if there is, from any point in your career, a problem that you remember being a problem that you had to overcome, but that you were surprised was an issue, you know, something that, that you know, acting class doesn't prepare you for that shouldn't be an issue, but only is because it's a network sitcom that's going to be a drama and you're a vampire. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that has really shown itself to me over the years, uh, working as a television actor in series where you are on sometimes hundreds of episodes of this character. You're telling stories with this character that have not even been imagined at the conception of the series, right? That, I mean, that's yeah. how television works. I mean, unless you're on a very specific show where they've had it plotted out for six seasons, not a lot of those exist, right? Yeah. So it's all kind of being built along the way. And, and one thing which I found when I was reading Milton's book, I found interesting because when you're working on a, on a play, the text is there from beginning to end. Or if you're working on a film, the text is there from beginning to end. You have a world from with which to make your choices. And you make your big, bold choices and you fall in love with them and you get to keep them. You don't get to keep them in television. Mm. You, can, you, you can write your own backstory and three episodes down the road, it's rewritten for you. 
And in a way, I've become a lazy actor. <laughs> I'm willing to own that. But also in a way, it's like everything is survival in this in this industry. Mm. When I was working on the OC in 2003, I had come straight from the school. Uh, I was working on O'Neill plays. I was working on big material with Milton. And I had an endless and important backstory for Luke Ward. And every episode, it seemed like they were tearing it away and, and filling it with trivial stuff. And it was like heartbreaking that I had to let go of these things. So I would say now I'm very careful to really be casual with some of my backstory and really only build what's feeding this particular episode or this particular huh. scene. Um, because otherwise you can't help but throw scripts across the room and wow. that's no way to live. <laughs> Actually, I'm glad you brought up that era. Cause I mean, one, that's, that's a great answer to that question I was I was asking. Um, but also, um, around that time, you two filmed a dinner with Eli Wallach. And we've got a clip from that that I wanted to show where your like, 25-year-old you is preparing for your future career. So, Eve, if, if we can roll that for a second, that would be great. This is perfect timing. The other thing is the lure of the quick career, which I have fallen into, is... Um, is, and I think that's the differences between somebody building their career brick by brick and sitting back and saying, now what do I want, where do I, what do I want to build next? What do I want to put next? It's built overnight and you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right, right. And, and you've got this, now you have this to work with. You're stuck with it. And you want to go back in and you want to fill in the details and you want to, you want to go back and lay those bricks, but it's, it's it, yeah. The, you're, you've got, you're stuck with something. Now I'm gonna rock, I'm gonna knock it all down and start again, but that's it's really good. hard. That's good yeah, that you that's have that. Knock it down. That, because that'll <laughs> save you. It really will. See, and I think you're I can see in your eyes that you're wise enough now and onto the game and that you've you're not gonna throw your life away. Mm -hmm. I hope you understand. Oh, I understand what exactly what you're saying, yeah. What's your program called? How to work. Well, uh, I'm no longer on it, but it was called The O.C. And it, it's, it's just OC? a teenage soap drama kind of thing. Um, big hit. Big hit, yeah. It, it was what does O.C. mean? Orange County. Oh, that's a dangerous place. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Some kids but came up so to us at the, at the beach today and asked him if he was on O.C. Yeah. It happened in the grocery store this morning. Well, this morning I was, this afternoon I wasn't. The most mail I get for anything I've ever done in my whole career, my whole life, mm -hmm. is one episode of Batman. <laughs> I, I played Mr. Free. <laughs> um, I, I, I imagine you haven't seen that since you filmed it. Uh, is, that a yeah. weird, is that a weird time loop for you? And also, I mean, I was glad to find a, a part of you t like trying to look ahead to your future, you know? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I very vividly remember that conversation. Well, Eli and Wallach. I remember that 25-year-old me. I wish I still had that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting. You know, after that conversation, I went and I did theater in New York. I went and did uh, theater on the West End. And I thought I was doing what I had set out to do, which was tear it all down and build it back brick by brick and 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 work on my technique and become a powerful uh formidable actor 
And when I finished my run in the West End and I came back to Hollywood, I thought people would be throwing roles at me from, from my year of experience. And the casting directors scratched their heads and said, who are you again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I, Milton has a great story about this, actually. Uh, the story that Bob Hope, was it Bob Hope told oh, you? Yes, Bob yeah, Hope. Yeah, please. Bob Hope. Uh, um, I worked for Bob Hope for years, and when he found out I was from Texas, and he said, and so he said, well, you know, he said I had a, I had an experience when I played Fort Worth, and so I said, what was that? And he said, yeah, I went to uh, I went around to the front marquee to see my name on the front marquee of the theater, and he said, and it, and it went up and said, and co-starring comic Ben Hope. And so he said, and I, he said, I went to the manager and said, it's not Ben Hope, it's Bob Hope. And he said, the manager looked at me and said, who'll know. Ah. So that 25 year old me wanted, wanted to scrape everything down and really build up brick by brick. And, but at the same time, when I came back to Hollywood and everyone was scratching their heads and I had a long period of time where it was very difficult for me to get work, I realized very few people have the opportunity to build a artistry brick by brick and have a career at the same time. And you will be faced with that choice. So I decided to go back to the big house that had no walls or doors and work with that and start laying the bricks in as best I could. Still using the technique and still trying to do my best but there was a reality there. I Don't Need an Acting Class is conceived and hosted by Milton Justice. Music is generously provided again this season by Jeffrey Keezer. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast if you have not already. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you back here next week. Bye.